0: 3 with me at this time, verses 7 through 12. As always, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you, but this is the moment in which God talks to Moses and calls him through the burning bush. So this is so epic, right? God comes to Moses when God's people were enslaved. Exodus 3 verse 7 says, "Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you will bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. May God bless this word in your life this morning. You may be seated at this time. So, we begin our journey in Exodus this morning with the burning bush as we go through the entire Bible in five months. It's the most ambitious. Sermon journey we've ever been on. It's been exhilarating. It's been a lot of study and preparation because you're summarizing a lot of wonderful things in a short amount of time. And I'm going to connect everything we're going to talk about this morning to this entire series and specifically to what Evan talked about last week with Abraham. And I wanted to begin uh, in the story of the Exodus with my favorite part of the story and probably yours too the moment when God comes to Moses through a burning bush. God calls Moses to save and free his people through a burning bush. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, what is up with the burning bush, right? Like, like this is interesting, right? This is not very common. And I think what we have to realize when we begin here this morning, because I don't just want you to learn these stories. I want you to, like, live in wonder and amazement of them. I want them to change your life in such a powerful way. But the reason why I think God comes to Moses through a burning bush is because God's just awesome like that. I mean, this is amazing. When you think about it, God comes to Moses through a burning bush. And when you read through the Old Testament, you know, you're going to read a lot of stuff. And you're like, man, that's interesting. Like, I don't see that kind of stuff as much today. Like, you're going to read it. And I think we have to be careful to not read the Bible and look at what God does. And we have to be careful kind of not to be in a modern kind of way, arrogant to say, I can't believe God would do something in a way differently than I would. You know, I can't believe God would act in certain ways different than me. Like he is God. He is amazing. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. And he comes to Moses in this burning bush because that is a glorious thing. I mean, the only reason why you don't appear to people in a burning bush is because you can't, right? Because if you could, you would. You're right, like your friend's like front bush was like catching on fire. He runs outside, oh my gosh, what's going on? It's like, hey man, what's up? You know, like you, you go outside and it's like, just it's like, just John just checking in, you know. Like this is amazing, right? Like he's talking to him through a burning bush. Of course, because Moses didn't expect it and God usually encounters us in ways that we don't expect. It's usually a surprise or a miracle or something out of the ordinary because God is so much grander than us. And I say that because I'm going to walk you through the entire story this morning. And I don't just want you to, to memorize these facts so you can be assured that you know what happened in the story of Exodus. I want you to, to listen to the story this morning. And I want you to find your story in the story of Exodus. I want you to learn about how amazing God is through the story of Exodus so that it can change and transform your life And so if you came here this morning and you know about the story of Exodus, you know I'm going to miss a lot of parts of it. Because I honestly, until I was studying this week, I didn't realize how long and how massive this story was until I started reading it. There's a lot here that we're going to cover, right? So if you know the whole story, I'm going to miss certain aspects of it, but I'm going to give you the general gist. And if you came here this morning and you're like, I'm not really a church person, didn't grow up in the church, I know nothing about this story, you are going to leave here not only knowing this story pretty well, but knowing what it means for your life. And I think it means a lot for your life. So I'm going to begin from the very beginning, but not just from the beginning of the story of Moses, all the way back to Abraham, what Evan talked about last week, okay? So Evan talked about Abraham, and the reality was the world was broken. And I think we can all agree the world has issues, the world is broken even to this day. And God looked down on a broken and a sinful and a messed up world— And he says, I created this world, and even though the humans have rebelled against me, and even though they've sinned, I want to do a great work in these people. I want to redeem this world. And so he looks down to a man called Abraham. Abraham was known as a man of faith, and he looks down to Abraham and says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to make a great nation out of you that's going to bless all nations. So so Abraham, I'm going to do a work through your family, through your descendants. I'm going to build up this nation, and it's going to bless everybody. And so Abraham believed this promise. He received it and began following God and living out this promise that God was going to do a work through his life. The same way that we should be living in the same way that God wants to work through us. And so Abraham has a son, Isaac, and then Jacob and Joseph, and they start having this descendants, and this nation begins to get built up, and a lot of things happen, but over this 400-year span from Abraham to Moses, in that time, what happens is um, Abraham's people, Israel, migrate to Egypt. They migrate to Egypt, you know, they're moving around, having families, moving to suburbs, whatever you call it, you know, like they, they migrate to Egypt. And so the next thing you know, God's people, it picks up in Exodus, they're living in Egypt. And what happens is, is this new Pharaoh of Egypt, because e- Egypt was a separate nation, right? This new Pharaoh comes to power. And he's the, he's the king or the Pharaoh over all of the Egyptians and all of the land. And yet he looks out and he's concerned because he sees all of these Israelites and they're, they're multiplying everywhere and they're getting big and they're having lots of babies because God said be fruitful and multiply, right? So that's what they're doing, right? And they're becoming more and more and more. And he becomes afraid that maybe one day when these people rise up and they unite together that maybe they will overthrow Egypt. And so in an attempt to, to quell this, this, it wasn't even an uprising yet, but just the potential of an uprising, he enslaves all of God's people. So the Pharaoh of Egypt says that all Israelites are to become slaves, and not just any kind of slaves, but he's going to work them extremely, extremely hard. And so God's people are enslaved now when it's awful and they're they're beaten and they're forced to do labor they don't want to do. And then to take it a step further, he doesn't just stop there, but the Pharaoh says not only will they be enslaved, but from now on, every Israelite boy that is born, every baby boy must be killed and murdered because we don't want them to rise up and lead a rebellion. And so there's this edict that goes out that all the little boys have to be killed, and yet there's this one baby boy that's born, and this is really cool and special. His name is Moses. And and, and church tradition says that when you look at a lot of the the writings of, of the early church, there was this understanding that Moses as a baby was a very beautiful baby. He's this little beautiful baby boy that's born. And his mother loves him so much that she doesn't want him to be killed. She wants him to have life and to live and to grow up. And so she knows she can't keep him because the edict has been sent out that they all have to be killed. And so in a last-ditch effort, just hoping maybe something will happen, maybe God will perform a miracle, she puts her baby boy, this beautiful baby boy named Moses, into this little basket and sets him in this river and pushes him down the river, hoping that maybe somebody will find him. And believe it or not, somebody finds baby Moses In fact, it's not just anybody that finds baby Moses. It's actually the Pharaoh's daughter, okay? So the guy who was saying all uh, Israelite boys have to be killed, right? His daughter finds this beautiful baby boy, and she said the same thing. This little baby boy is beautiful, And so she takes him and she has compassion and favor on him. And she calls for one of the Israelite women to come and nurse him. And so they nurse him and they grow him. But then after he's not a baby anymore, they give him back to the Pharaoh's daughter and she begins to raise him. And so crazy enough, Moses becomes this prince in Egypt in a land in which all of his people are supposed to be either dead or slaves. And he finds himself to be a prince And now here's where it gets kind of crazy, and here's where things really begin to change in the story of Exodus. And I don't think we realize this a lot. Moses could have just had a a really easy, rich, famous life. He knew he was an Israelite, but he wasn't really treated as one. He could have just kind of been an Egyptian. He could have just lived his life and had money and maybe even come to power one day. He could have had all these wonderful things in his life. And yet the, the story says that he knew that he was an Israelite and he had this compassion and this burning desire to see his people freed even though he was safe. And then there's this moment a little bit after that when uh, Moses is walking about the, uh, Egypt one day and he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite, like beating him really badly. And Moses just loses it in a moment of anger, sticking up for his people, and he actually kills the Egyptian guy that was hurting somebody who was a part of his nation and then he's afraid that they're going to find him out. He's afraid, that, oh no, I'm, a, I'm an Israelite and now I killed an Egyptian, I'm in a lot of trouble. So he flees, right? Goes to like a distant land and long story short, he gets married and has a kid. And once again, he's got a pretty lush life, you know, he's living out in the, the burbs outside of Egypt, you know, not really doing much, just hanging out, right? Just doing his thing. And then he's out there like just letting his people remain in slavery because he doesn't know what to do. And then we come to Exodus 3, what we read earlier, where God comes to Moses and says, hey Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. I've heard them. They're hurting. They're in pain. They're, they're calling out to me to save them. And I, I want to save them. And Moses, I'm going to use you to do that. And, and, and I'm going to keep going for the rest of the story, but I, I want to park it here for just like two seconds. And I want us to, once again, lean into this a little bit and just marvel at this wonder that, like, literally God cares about his people from the very beginning of the Bible, God is God who looks down on his people, who does not ignore their pain. All right, we don't just have an all-powerful God who rules everything and he's in charge. We have a God who loves us. We see this like the heart of God, the heart of Father God in this moment looking down on his kids the same way that he looks down on your life and he cares about you and he wants good for you and when you cry, he hears you and he responds and it's not always the way that we would maybe do things but he always responds in the perfect way. And so God wants to save Israel so he calls Moses in a burning bush which we've already established is like really awesome, okay? This is a burning bush, right? This is like my favorite part of the story. Comes in this burning bush and says, Moses, I want you to go deliver my people. And Moses says, um, who am I? Like, I'm, I'm just some guy. I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm a weak guy. I fled. I'm, you know, he's like, I'm not even articulate. And so God's like, okay, well, I'll give you your brother Aaron, who is his brother. He's articulate. He'll help you out on the speaking end he's like, okay, when I go to Israel and I say that, you know, they're going to go free, like, they're going to ask, so who sent you? Like, who are you, God? Like, like, how, like, like, Moses didn't even have a framework for who God was or how he related with him. And God tells Moses to tell the people, just tell them, I am who I am. That's awesome too, right? That's pretty cool. I am who I am, right? That sounds like a Chuck Norris line, but it's like, it's like God, right? He's like, I am who I am. And so then Moses, after you know, God you know, wipes away all of his excuses and talks about it, he's like, Moses, just go. I'm going to be with you. Moses begins his journey back into Egypt. And you know, I bet he was really nervous, right? Because, I mean, we don't realize, like, back in that day, it, you know, Egypt wasn't a democracy, okay? Like, you know, we elect our officials and leaders. And today with the Internet and information, we know a lot more about what's going on. We know people's faults and all these kinds of things. But it, back in that ancient day, Pharaoh was basically like a god on earth, right? Nobody questioned his authority. Nobody appointed him. He had absolute rule of everything that he wanted, right? He was like a god on earth. And so Moses is approaching Pharaoh, this all-powerful god, who he's probably assuming, I'm probably going to try this. It's probably going to, you know, crash and burn. I'm going to get killed, and it's going to be awful. But, but Moses is compelled by the one true god who has come to him to go to, to, go to Pharaoh. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, look. Um, God has said that you need to let Israel, his people, go. And Pharaoh responds with, number one, who's this God you're talking about? And number two, the answer is no, you can't go. Like, like no, you, no, I, I don't know who the God is you're talking about, but these people can't go. They are slaves, and that's what they need to be. And so then Moses kind of retreats a little bit, and God comes back to Moses, and God says to Moses, okay, he said no. You're going to go back and you're going to tell him, I will continue to bring plagues on his land until he lets my people go. And so Moses goes back to Pharaoh and he says, okay, like God's going to do this. And so once again, it's a long story. A lot happens. There's 10 different plagues that God does on the people. And the last one is so bad that Pharaoh's son even dies in the midst of it. And, and Pharaoh is so distraught, so frustrated with all this is going on, how, how he's being forced into this, that he just says, okay, they can go. Like, let, let these people go. Get them out of here. And so Moses assembles all of Israel, right? They they get everyone together, and they begin making the mass, what they call Exodus, or mass departure, that's what Exodus means, out of Egypt, into freedom, into this land that God said was flowing with milk and honey, this wonderful land they were going to be taken from. So they are slaves, but God's going to take them to the promised land, where they can be the great nation that God has called them to be all the way back in Abraham, okay? Okay? So you're seeing the problem now, right? God called, uh, through Abraham, Israel to be a great nation and great people, and yet now they're in slavery, so that doesn't mesh. So God's got to fix that, right? So then uh, Pharaoh says, okay, get out of here. I'm I'm, I'm tired of you guys. And so uh, Israel begins to make their way out of Egypt. And when they're along the way, they're they're making their way out, all of a sudden Pharaoh changes his mind and becomes frustrated. He's like, I shouldn't have done that. So he sends the army back out after Israel. And Israel's is kind of going along, and they turn around, and they're like, oh, great. Like, that, like the, the most powerful army in the history of the world at that time is coming after them. The Egyptian army is coming after God's people, right? And they're like, this is it. We're done. I, I love it. One of, in, in the story, it says that, that the people were basically saying, Moses, did you bring us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? Did you bring us out here? Because there wasn't enough places to bury all of our dead bodies in Egypt. So you brought us out here so we can just have this like mass grave out in the middle of the desert. Is that what you're doing here? And Moses is kind of uncertain, but he, he knows that God's called him to do this. And that's the thing about this story is like there's, there's bumps along the, the road and there's all these things not going right. And then he's like, no, God, I know you've called me to do this. That's kind of how our life is, right? It's like you're called to do something, but it's, it's never smooth. And it wasn't smooth for Moses either. It wasn't smooth for Israel either. And so the, this army is coming after them and it looks like it's over like this is the climax of this movie right And there comes this point where they're coming up on this the sea called the called the Red Sea and they're, they're coming up on it, and Moses, ba- God tells Moses, look, you're going to raise your staff, the sea's going to part, you're going to cross through, and I'm going to defeat the army on your behalf. And so Moses, as he's done the whole time, just listens to God, goes, God miraculously parts the Red Sea. God's people cross through the Red Sea, and when God's people cross over the sea, and the enemy becomes the, begins to come into the sea, God closes the sea and destroys the evil Empire for all you Star Wars people out there, right? Trying to get this analogy going, right? Destroys the enemy. And then when you read this in the Bible, it's a, it's a rush, right? It, it's like a, a, a really cool action movie. And yet, here's the thing in the midst of all of the theatrics and the drama, in the midst of all of the miracles, what I want you to know specifically this morning is not just what happens. I don't just want you to know the narrative, though I want you to know that. I want you to know why God does this, because that's what has a, an implication for your life. And when you often ask people, so what's the point of this story, where God's people were enslaved, and then God freed them and, and, and was going to deliver them into a promised land, like, like, why is God doing this? Like, why does this story happen? And the common answer that you'll get is people say, well, God uh, didn't want his people to be enslaved. He wanted to free his people. They, 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 meant, they, they were not meant to be slaves. And so God had to, to step in and do something. God had to, God had to act on, on, for, on, on behalf of his people. And though that's true, if that's what you think, you're thinking too small. Those are true things that we pull out of this story. But the ultimate reason, the wonderful reason why God saves his people is God frees Israel because he promised to make them a great nation that would bless the world. That's the main thesis this morning. God frees Israel because he promised to make them a great nation that would bless the world. The Bible is often confusing. Because we read every little different story as kind of like this um, set-apart story. And so like, you know, maybe if you watch like a a sitcom, like Full House or something, right? Like a sitcom, like none of them are connected. I remember when I learned this growing up, and it it was very helpful, right? So if you watch Full House, a show like that, or like a 30-minute sitcom, they're usually designed to where, like, you could have never watched one episode in your entire life, right? And then you can just turn the TV on at 9 o'clock at night just because you're wanting to hang out and watch a show. You can watch an episode of Full House, and you can pretty much understand what's going on, right? That, that's kind of the, the idea behind a sitcom. They're not supposed to be followed intently. Those some, some of them have cult followings and stuff like that. But if you watch, like, Lord of the Rings... Or if you watch like Star Wars or or a movie or or a series like that, um, it doesn't really make much sense if you don't understand like the broad narrative of what's going on. And and the Bible is kind of like that, you know, it's kind of like this book that everything is read in context of each other. So like the creation narrative and Abraham impacts Moses in Egypt, and the reason why God frees his people is because, as we looked at last week, God said that he was going to make a covenant with Abraham, that he was going to make Abraham this great nation called Israel. His descendants would make this great nation, and then that nation would one day bless all nations And this happened because Jesus comes from Abraham, and then Jesus gives salvation to all people, all nations. And we're living in an era where anybody can come to Jesus, anybody can follow God. All nations have been blessed, literally, by the man named Jesus Christ, who was a descendant, ultimately, of Abraham. Isn't that crazy? Like, it all connects together. And so God looks down into a messed, a messed up and a, and a broken world and he tells Moses, I'm going to deliver you not just so you won't be a slave, but because I have a promised land that has been prepared for you. And here is the part for your life this morning is that you were called to that same wonder. You and I were created to be a part of something. You and I were created not just to live a life avoiding pain, not just to live a life where bad stuff isn't happening, not just to live a life where we're not enslaved to anybody. We were created to live this proactive life, worshiping God and being happy, letting us be his people and letting him be our God. We were created for this relationship. And aside from that relationship, the human experience is void of meaning and purpose and ultimate happiness. That God frees us not just so we will not be slaves, but so that we can be a proactive part of this wonderful thing called creation. And so God doesn't just free us and heal us of sin just so we cannot have sin, but He frees us to be a part of something. And so you this morning, you were created to do something with your life. You were created to be a part of God's wonderful creation. You were created to know him and to love him and to worship him. And he wants to work through your life. And he wants to work through you and and your family and your place of work and your community. He wants to see people healed and loved and helped through your life. He wants to see you chase after dreams and go after good things and accomplish things for his glory and for your good. And yet most of us just live life simply avoiding pain. We think a lot about being removed from slavery, but we don't dwell enough about the promised land of our life and where God is taking us. And yet then those moments in life come when we begin to doubt this promise, when we need saving, when we don't know what to do, when it feels like everything is caving in our life. And it's in these moments that I want to share this phrase with you that I feel like God gave me as I was studying for this this morning. And it kind of echoes the song we began with this morning, and that, that idea is this, is that God's love for you endures forever throughout whatever. I want you to believe that this morning. When you read the story of Exodus, I mean, it's just up and down and up and down and up and down. It's like you have like an insecure leader in Moses, and yet God still works through him. You have this, like, godlike figure on earth named Pharaoh who, who hates the Israelites, and yet God overcomes him. God even brushes back nature in parting the sea for his people to cross it. Everything, it seems like, stood in the way of God's people finding freedom, and yet God always made a way. I want you to hear what Moses says to the people when it looks like it's all over— when it looks like uh, the the Egyptian army is going to get them, and it was a nice try, we tried to be free, but we're going to die, and it's going to end right here. In Exodus 14, Moses says this to the people, and maybe Moses can say this to you this morning as well. He says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Do you have enough faith this morning to believe that promise in your life? Because the same God who who inspired Moses to speak those beautiful words is speaking that to you this morning. That whatever you're facing, That whatever you're going through, you need only be silent and let the Lord fight for you because God's love for you endures forever throughout whatever. God has created us for a, a good purpose. He has created this, this beautiful world, and, this, and there's moments in, when we see it, right? There's moments when we feel the love, or it's a, it's a beautiful day outside. I don't know, maybe, maybe I just have a better perspective on life recently, but it's like the weather seems so much nicer. Like the past year, it just seems like there's been so much great weather. There's been so many beautiful days, more than normal, and there's these moments when I just think, man, like this life is so amazing, and God created this by speaking it into being, and I'm a part of that, and, and we, we try to rationalize our faith and rationalize this world, and yet when we open up our imagination, right, to what God has done, when we open up our heart to the wonder of, of the scripture and to the creation narrative and how God blessed Abraham and how Evan showed us last week that we're connected to this, this nation, that's blessing, all the world, right, that we're a part of that. That is an absolutely amazing perspective for your life, and the even more amazing thing is that it's true and that it's real and that it was fully realized in Jesus Christ. And I think in this in those verses I think what we see is the entire gospel. How God sent Jesus to fight sin for you to cleanse you that that we only need to be silent and to trust in Jesus. I think we see the gospel in the story of Exodus and, and the way I put it this morning is that with God there's always a way. With God there is always a way. Do you believe that this morning? Do you have the faith to believe that with God there's always a way, with whatever you're dealing with, whatever's going on with, whatever's weighing on you, whatever sin you struggle with, do you believe there's only a way? Or have you given up the faith? Have you given up the faith that God can conquer that in your life? that God can do a new work in you no matter how old you are, no matter what situation you're in in life, no matter how bad your circumstances are, that with God there is always a way. This, This theme rings all the way out through Exodus. With God there is always a way. There is always a way for God to move in your life. The God that we serve, seen fully in Jesus Christ, sets people free of everything that harms them of everything that enslaves them. I want to do an exercise this morning. I want want to ask you to close your eyes with me really quick. Just close your eyes. I want you to experience the power of faith. I want you to think of just one thing. It doesn't matter what it is. But one thing that's weighing on you this morning. Just think of one thing. It can be... Spiritual, it can be practical, it doesn't matter. If it's a big deal to you, then it's a big deal to God. I want you to think about that one thing that is weighing on you. I want you to put it at the front of your mind, and then I want to speak this truth over you like Moses spoke this truth over Israel. With whatever you're thinking about, with whatever you're struggling with, with whatever you're going through, with God, There is always a way. With God, there is always a way. With God, there is always a way to get through whatever you struggle with. You can open your eyes now. Do you feel the joy of faith when you hear those words? Do you feel faith and hope springing anew in your soul? And and maybe it's faint this morning, but it's there. You see, God sent Moses to free his people, and God sent Jesus to free us of sin, of death, of slavery, of every single kind. Moses was called to lead Israel and Jesus came to lead all humanity out of slavery. The good news, or the gospel, the message of Jesus, is that God has freed us. The good news is is while we don't deserve the goodness that God gives us in this life, God has chosen to free us, because His love for us endures forever throughout whatever. I don't have time to go into it, but you can go to a lot of like cool like, blogs and different things on the internet, and they show you the comparisons between um, Moses and Jesus and their stories. And There's a lot there, and I almost brought it in here, but it was, just, it was too long. Uh, but in, in, in a small way, Moses was this figure that was foretelling what Christ was going to be for all humanity. And isn't it crazy how this one nation that God built in Israel of which Jesus came in that lineage, that that one nation now today blesses all nations. Whereas before there was a a nation that God was working through to show his glory and wonder to the world, that that is now the church today, that we bear this gospel message of hope and love and forgiveness of sin and purpose in life and relationship with God, and we can have it all simply through faith. And so I close this morning with this simple phrase, that the gospel is our exodus. The gospel is our exodus. In John 12, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me, meaning God. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness and you may ask well how do, how does this compare how is the gospel how is the message of jesus and the hope he offers how how is that my exodus this morning let me explain that's your exodus because the bible says that all of us have fallen short of god's wonderful and perfect glory We've all sinned, we've all got shame in our life, we're all rebellious people. God's created this wonderful world and yet we've seen fit to kind of go our own and separate ways. We don't deserve eternity with God and yet God has looked down upon us with favor and he has decided to bless us and to forgive us and to redeem us. And in the same way that God parts the Red Sea for God's people, on the cross the hands of Christ were parted For you and for me. And in the same way, when Christ's hands were on the cross, parted, dying on the cross, an awful death, he was doing that and bearing that weight for our sin so we wouldn't have to bear it. Whatever you struggle with this morning, whatever sin you're going through, you can be perfectly forgiven just by trusting in Jesus that that man on the cross was my atonement for my sin. He paid for my sin. That's him paying for my sin. That's my struggle. That's my lust. That's my lying. That's my theft. That's every bad thing I've ever done. And he's parting his hands on the cross so that I can pass through, through his life, through his faith, because my life and my faith were, were not good enough and that I'm trusting in him for my salvation. The gospel is the exodus of humanity. As Christ said out of the darkness and into the light. And everybody this morning who trusts in the name of Jesus Christ is healed, is forgiven, is set free. The gospel says that you are free, that your chains have been broken. You're no longer that person that you used to be. And even when you stumble again, and even with you, when you fall, Jesus will still be there the way he's been there forever for you. In Jesus Christ, God's love endured forever for you throughout whatever. I love you all, church. Let's walk from the darkness. Let's live in this glorious and marvelous light because God has delivered us unto the promised land. And to him be all the glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you for this moment where we can come together and remember your faithfulness unto us, God. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here this morning who is kind of just walking through life and not really sure where they're going. I pray if there's anybody in here who's uh, enslaved into sin or to shame and the enemies telling them all these lies that you're not special, that God doesn't love you. I pray those lies would be done away with in this place this morning. That we would make an exodus out of the darkness and into the light. I thank you for sending Jesus Christ and for him being the ultimate reminder that you have freed your people that whereas in, in Exodus, God frees Israel, today through Christ, God frees all humanity. Anybody who's willing to trust in the perfect and the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. God, make us faithful with this message as your church. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this reminder. And I pray that we would be reminded in this place that your love for us endures forever, throughout whatever. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.